You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Well, I'm excited about tonight for a lot of reasons, but uh, one of them is we are uh, similar to last week. At the end tonight, we're going to baptize uh, a few more students and... Um, it's exciting uh, for a lot of reasons. You know, if you weren't here last week, we baptized five of our students. Um, uh, this Sunday, this past Sunday, we baptized uh, two of our students, I believe. And tonight we're baptizing, I think, five more. And, uh, and, and this weekend, I was hanging out with my old college pastor, who's still a big part of my life, mentors me. And um, he and his wife both have poured a lot into me and continue to. And uh, we were talking, and, and I was just sharing with them, you know, it's really cool, because right now, I feel like we're in a little bit of a season of fruit just kind of falling from the trees. I mean, we're seeing students get baptized. Um, tonight, there's, there's uh, two students who just recently became Christians who are going to be baptized, um, like, I mean, in the past couple months. Last week, um, one of the students we baptized had become a Christian at Beach Reach, as y'all heard. Um, and so... There's some really cool things happening, and, and I was telling them, uh, Kevin and his wife Shannon, this this weekend, and at one point Shannon, his wife, asked, so, you know, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think you're in this season of fruit? And uh, we were just kind of thinking about it and talking about it, and, and uh, she said, well, haven't y'all been emphasizing prayer in your ministry? Like, haven't y'all been praying more? And, uh, and I was like, wow, I mean, yes, I hadn't even thought about that. Um, and, and the Lord convicted my heart in that moment, and I want to share this with you, because this is huge. Uh, if, if you weren't here the second week of this semester, I preached a sermon as we were starting our series in Exodus called Church on Fire. If you haven't listened to that or weren't here for that, you need to go back to the podcast and listen because that has to be the foundation of not just this church, uh, First Baptist Church, and this ministry overflow, and other ministries outside of here. It has to be, it has to be the foundation of everything. Prayer is to the church as fuel is to the fire. Good, y'all do listen. It's awesome. And uh, I was convicted because, okay, so after that message, we started something called the Boiler Room. Every week at 7, or every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. in this room back here, the choir room, we call it the Boiler Room, uh, we have students meet and they pray for an hour, praying for tonight, praying for things happening on campus, praying for things going on around the world. Um, So we started the Boiler Room. Then, if you were here a few weeks ago when it iced and everybody uh, wimped out because the ice and canceled everything, but we didn't because that's how we stink and roll, uh, we had overflow, but we changed everything. Uh, kind of last minute, we just felt like God was saying, hey, do something different tonight. And so we just had a night of, of prayer and worship, um, which, by the way, one of the students that we baptized tonight, or going to baptize tonight, became a Christian that night, which is really cool. But, but we have been praying, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's not, a con- it's not a coincidence that we are seeing so much fruit right now. It's because prayer is to the church as fuel is to the fire. Um, and so I, I want to share this with you for a couple reasons. One is this. If you've not participated yet in the boiler room that happens Tuesday nights at 7 in the room behind the stage, you need to know a couple things. First, um, you're not missing out on, on like the new cool thing we're doing as a ministry. The boiler room is not cool. I'm serious. What happens in there is hard work. It's the hardest work to do in the church. It's the hardest work to do in God's kingdom. So what's happening in there is not cool. I'm not trying to convince you to go be a part of something that's cool because it's not. Second thing you need to know, if you've not yet participated in the boiler room, you need to understand that you are missing out on the blessing of being part of what God is doing in and through our prayers. And you have to understand that you have a chance to be one of the people throwing fuel on the fire and you're not taking that opportunity. 
Um, you need to understand that you're missing out on sharing the joy of, of sowing uh, the seeds of prayer and then seeing the harvest of that hard work. And here's the last thing you need to see. If you're not yet participating in the boiler room, um, we, we, we've talked about this summon here. This is kind of just a conversation that I know happens. It's a desire I think we all have to see this room packed out with people, college students worshiping on Tuesday nights. Um, that's, that's been a desire of ours because we want to see God become more famous on, on our campuses. Um, but here's the thing. As much as we desire that, I can tell you that this room will not, I'm, I'm, I could just about guarantee you, that this room will not be packed out in here at 8 o'clock on Tuesday nights with people worshiping until that room back there is packed out at 7 o'clock with people praying. Um, there's a pastor named uh, Leonard Ravenhill. He said this, Let the fires go out in the boiler room of the church, and the place will still look smart and clean, but it will be cold. The prayer room in the church is the boiler room for its spiritual life. When holy passion has ceased to move the intercessors in the prayer room, coldness ensues, power is lost, and mortification sets in. The place still looks viable, but it's no longer a birthplace of souls. And I just want to encourage you with this. Um, Over the past few weeks, we have seen souls come to life. And this is a birthplace of souls right now because we have begun to get on our knees and pray. But here's what I'm just wondering. What might happen if every single student in here if every single student in here joined the battle of getting on our knees and praying every Tuesday night, what might happen as a result? We're already seeing fruit, but how much more fruit might we see? So that being said, we're in Exodus tonight. Get your Bibles out. Uh, We are picking up in Exodus 19. So last week we got to Exodus 17. You'll notice we skipped Exodus 18. Um, The reason for that basically is this. We don't have time to study every ounce of Exodus because... Uh, we only have a few, me- few weeks left, which means finders are coming. I'm sorry. Um, but then school's out for summer. And uh, so I want to give you just so- something real quick. Exodus 18 is an incredible chapter. Um, in fact, I've, I've taught briefly on it with some of you before, not in this setting. Um, two years ago, God used Exodus 18 in a huge way in my heart, in my life. And it's actually impacted this ministry in a big way. And it's going to be impacting this ministry in an even bigger way in the coming weeks. Um, But Exodus 18, Moses, he's trying to lead Israel, and essentially what he's doing is he's sitting every day in front of the people, and lines of people are coming to him, and he's trying to deal with every single issue of the people. He's trying to shepherd millions of people by himself. And uh, his father-in-law, got to love the in-laws, comes to visit him and says, hey man, you are, uh, one, you're going to kill yourself in doing this. Two, you are um, not going to be able to properly shepherd these people. These people are going to be leaving frustrated and unhelped. And three, you're not going to get these people ultimately where God wants them to go if you keep doing it this way. And and then he gives him some advice on how to move from there. And I encourage you to read Exodus 18 because uh, it is powerful and it is huge practical advice for you in just leading, organizing, and following the Lord. So that's Exodus 18. Exodus 19, we're picking up um, in verse 1. And let me tell you, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Um, and so I, I want you, if you have a Bible or, or an app, I want you to read along or follow along with me. Um, God's word is powerful. My word is not. So really, if we're going to spend more time doing anything, it should be reading the Bible, not me talking about the Bible. Uh, I'm going to read all of Exodus 19, a little bit of chapter 20, and then we're going to chop it up. Are y'all ready? Yeah. All right, here we go. Verse 1 it says, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness, wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There, 
Israel encamped before the mountain. This is about three months since they've been set free from Egypt. So there Israel encamped before the mountain. Verse 3, while Moses went up to God. The Lord God, or the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. You understand, if you go back to Genesis, this dude named Jacob had his name changed to Israel. You got that? So like sometimes it says Jacob, sometimes it says Israel. But all it's talking about is Jacob had these sons who had sons and sons and sons. And so that formed the nation of Israel. So Jacob and Israel, that's the nation of Israel. You got that? Okay. Just making sure. Where are we? Verse 4. You yourselves, thank you, have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If you write in your Bible, you might want to put a little note in there. 1 Peter 2, 9-10. through 10. We'll deal with that more next week. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord... The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people and you shall set limits or build a fence basically for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, so killed from a distance. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses, verse 14, went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day and don't go near a woman. I'm just telling you, when guys go near women, bad stuff happens. And vice versa. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp, what? Trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Verse 21, and the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. This is the second time now he's warned them of that. Verse 22, also, let the priests who, who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, or in other words, purify themselves in an appropriate way, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the, and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and he told them. Chapter 20, and God spoke all these words, saying, I 
and the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So now Moses is talking to the people, relaying the things that God had said to him. And in chapter 20, this is where we get to the very famous Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, the Ten Commands that God gives to the people. And we're going to deal with that more next week. Um, But I want you to see what happens right after this. Verse 18, chapter 20, it says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear. For God's come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Now, did you hear that? I just actually just now noticed this. He says, don't fear because God has come to test you that the fear of him may be be before you. Did you get that? Don't fear. God's come to test you so that he can know that the fear of him may be before you. So don't fear. God's come to test you so that you'll fear. Does that make sense? It kind of doesn't, but it, it does. Essentially, don't be afraid of God, but be afraid of God. Two different kinds of fears. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more tonight. Um, Verse 21, the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Now I want you to go back to verse 20. Verse 20 says this, the Lord came down. I want you to underline that junk. Circle it, highlight it, star it. Write something about it in your notes. Exodus 19.20 says the Lord came down. Let me ask you this question. What happens when the Lord comes down? I mean, what happens? What really happens when God shows up? What really happens when God makes his presence known? And, And let me tell you, I think this is a super important question because all the time I hear people come to me and say stuff like, man, God's presence was there tonight. Did you feel it? Man, I just felt God in the room tonight. Man, the Holy Spirit was just doing his thing tonight. The Holy Spirit was there. Like, has anybody ever said that to you? Or have you ever said that to somebody? Like, if you've ever said that, I want you to ask yourself this question right now. If you've ever said something like, man, I could just feel God's presence tonight. Or if you've ever thought that, why? Why did you say that? Why did you think that? What led you to think that or say that? Typically, people say that and they'll, they'll kind of explain it to me. I'll ask why. Typically, the reasoning is something along the lines of this. They'll say, man, I felt God in there tonight or, man, God's presence was huge in there tonight. And they're saying that because at the end of the message, the, 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 the preacher gave some sort of response uh, or, or asked for some sort of response and, and, the, and the people, maybe they all raised their hands because of like, yeah, I need Jesus. A lot of people raise their hands saying they need Jesus. Or, or during the worship afterwards, a lot of people come down to the altar and are praying on their knees or whatever. They, they say, okay, as a result of that, man, God was huge in the room tonight. Or maybe they'll say, man, man, I just felt the presence of the Holy Spirit because the preacher, he was preaching and uh, he made you laugh a lot or he led you to take a lot of notes or uh, he dished out a lot of really tweetable phrases. And so you're like, man, the Holy Spirit was there tonight. Or some people will say, man, I just felt God's presence and it's because the worship music was just on point and, and everybody was singing loud in there. But, but the question is, the question is, what really happens when the Lord comes down? How do we really know when God has shown up? Look at verse 16. It says, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp, what? 
trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. So he brings them a little bit closer to the mountain. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. Did, you, did any of you like have an art class in elementary school or maybe like now in college? And you make pottery and you paint it and then you stick it in this little oven looking thing? That's a kiln. But like we're talking old school kiln. You can't have kilns in a room that smoke. Okay, that would kill everybody. This is like old school kiln. So the smoke is just, anyways, doesn't matter. And the whole mountain, it says, trembled greatly. Now look at verse uh, 18 of chapter 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and what? Trembled. And they stood far off. The reality is, okay, the question on the table is what happens when the Lord comes down? The reality is there's a lot of different things that, that can possibly happen when God shows up, when he comes down. But this text points to something about God's presence that you and I have got to see tonight, and that's this. When God comes down, the people tremble. When God comes down, the people tremble. And not only that, if you look at verse 18 of chapter 19, when God comes down, all of creation trembles. Now look at this again. I know we've read this twice now already. Let's read it a third time. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and and a very loud trumpet so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Chapter 20, verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet... And the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. Listen, it doesn't really matter who you think God is. What matters is who God actually is. Listen again. It doesn't really matter who you think God is. What matters is who God actually is. A lot of of people think God is like Gandalf, this old wizard-looking dude with a long white beard who has magical powers. Some people think God is like a a genie in a bottle. They think that he's this dude that if you rub him just right or if you act just right or do enough good stuff, then he will grant you wishes and grant you blessings. A lot of people think that God is like the Incredible Hulk, this extremely angry monster that if you just hack him off, he will destroy you. Some people think that God uh, is like their homeboy, this dude that you kick it with, fist bump and kick back and drink a cold beer with. There's all these different ideas of who God is. We've taken the liberty in our culture of creating our own versions of who we think God is. But remember, it doesn't really matter who you think God is. What matters is who God actually is. And my hope for you tonight is this, that you would get a clearer picture, a better glimpse of God's power, his size, and his holiness. And listen, here's why. It's because when God comes down, the people tremble, and we've got to ask the question as a result of that, okay, the people tremble when God shows up. Why? Why do the people in Exodus tremble? Why does the mountain tremble? And I'm going to show you from the text a few reasons. The first is this. They trembled because of his power. They trembled because of his power. So last April 2014, you remember the hailstorm from hell? 
Some of you had your windshields and junk busted out. Anybody have your windshield busted out? Okay, a couple of you. So when the first hailstorm came through, the really bad one with like cantaloupe-sized hail, watermelons flying through the air, uh, my car was parked under our little carport at my apartment. Um, I'll just be honest, I left church early because I was like, ah, it's about to hail. I'm not about to have my car, Jack Bauer, out in that, so I'm going to go park it under the carport. Um, so I'm in my apartment. It's hailing, you know, cannonballs and stuff, and, uh, and my car was fine. But after it was done hailing, uh, I had... I had all my schedule was to hang out with my, one of my interns at the time, Andrew Smith. Hey, Andrew. Uh, and and we, so we went up to North Lakes. Uh, I mean, the logical thing to do is right after a hailstorm, when there's tornado warnings, to go out to a park and throw the baseball around. That's the logical thing to do. I mean, there's already baseballs flying around anyways because of the hail. So uh, actually, we were throwing a softball, a little bit bigger than that. Um, and so we went out there to throw the softball. And the way we were facing, if you've been to North Lakes, we were on the back soccer fields, and Andrew was, his back was to the west, and that's where the storm was coming from. And early on, and Andrew will vouch for this, I'm pretty sure, we're throwing the softball, and I remember saying, that looks like a wall cloud. I mean, it was a wall cloud, okay? There were tornado warnings and stuff out. It was a wall cloud. But after saying that, we just kind of looked, and we're like, oh, cool, and just kept on throwing the softball. And we're throwing, I don't know, 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, and uh and just talking and totally oblivious to this wall cloud. And suddenly I, I throw the ball and I think I threw it past him because I'm bad at aiming and stuff. So he's chasing the ball. And while he's chasing, I look up and I see, holy smokes, there is a funnel cloud coming out of that wall cloud. And so I say to Andrew, dude, there's a tornado. And as soon as I said, the torna- said there's a tornado, what happened? The tornado siren starts going off and we're like, oh, crud, that really is a tornado. <laughs> And so we run over to North Lakes Rec Center. I don't know if you've been there before, um, but we ran in there, and there's already a bunch of people in there working out. And so they're all cramming into the bathrooms. We cram into the guy's bathroom. And actually, this is where I met a guy named Casey Scott. He's a member of our church. Um, started talking to him. Actually, while we are in the bathroom hiding from the tornado, recruited him to be one of our life group leaders in a college ministry. Um, and so now he's one of our life group leaders. Uh, but anyway, so we're hiding in there. After a while, we kind of got bored of being in the bathroom. And uh, so we go sit out on the little couches in the hallway right across from the vending machines. This is totally pointless to the story, but Andrew's sitting there. And uh, he's just kind of staring at the vending machine. And uh, it's real quiet. And all of a sudden, he, he goes, he kind of taps me like this. Doesn't take his eyes off the vending machine. He's like, taps me. And I'm like, hey, man, what's up? And he goes, do you think it's been long enough for us to break into the vending machine? <laughs> But after that happened, so we're, we're getting a little antsy of being stuck in the rec center. So uh, we're all kind of walking outside and, and looking at the clouds and stuff and just seeing what's going on. It, it, uh, it had just hailed again. That's when my car got blasted by the hail. Um, and so it stopped hailing. So we're standing outside just looking at the clouds. And I'm looking off the distance, not seeing any tornadoes. And somebody all of a sudden goes, oh, my gosh, look up. And we look up, and literally right above us you see the clouds doing this and starting to come down. They never touched down where we were. But I mean, right above us, and Andrew starts freaking out, trembling and stuff. Actually, we all were kind of freaking out, to be honest. <laughs> but, but I share that with you. I mean, we were freaking out. We were trembling a little bit at what we were seeing. Andrew was more than everybody else. But uh, <laughs> listen to verse 16. It says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp, what? Trembled. Now, before you think this is a bit of an overreaction to a little bit of thunder and lightning and a cloud, let me tell you what they're actually seeing. You need to understand what they're seeing. If you flip to Revelation chapter 4, which I didn't write this in my notes because I wanted to give you time to flip there. I'm flipping there too. Revelation chapter 4, it's the last book. It shouldn't be hard to find. 
Revelation 4, verse 1, listen, John, he's writing, he's describing what he's seeing. He says, after this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. So he sees a door standing open in heaven. He's getting a glimpse into heaven. It says, in the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, like a trumpet, by the way, Exodus 19, trumpet, okay, y'all looking at me like I'm dumb. So speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven, which one seated on the throne, or with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne, verse 5, came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of what? Thunder. And if you go back to chapter 1, verse 17, John, he's describing to you in chapter 1, verse 17, his reaction to what he was seeing. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. So he skips the trembling phase and just falls faint like one of those fainting goats. Um, Ezekiel, this isn't the only place we see this. Ezekiel, he was a prophet of God. Flip to Ezekiel chapter 1. You're probably not going to be able to find that. Uh, I'll just go there. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4. Listen to this. He was seeing a vision from God. He says, as I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually. And in the midst of the fire, as it were gleaming metal, skip down to the second part of verse 13, it says, and the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. Verse 28, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. This wasn't just thunder and lightning that they were seeing in Exodus chapter 19. This wasn't just a storm like April 14th, the hailstorm from hell. Exodus 19.20 says what? You underlined it a second ago. Says the Lord, what'd you say? Says the Lord came down. What they're seeing was God himself was coming down onto Mount Sinai. Psalm 104 verse 32 says the Lord looks on the earth and it trembles. Just looks at the earth and it trembles. The Lord touches the mountains and they smoke. Like, I just wonder, I don't know if any of you have ever been in an earthquake, um, but I just wonder if God, like, accidentally looked at California. <laughs> he looks at the earth, and it trembles. The power of God causes people to tremble. And if you look at Exodus 19, verse 19, it says, Moses, he's talking to the Lord, and it says, God answered him in thunder. Have you ever been woken up in the middle of the night by a thunderstorm? I mean, it happened to me like last spring, maybe the same storm, I don't know. I'm sleeping, I'm in one of those deep sleeps, and I sleep right by a window, and I just, my window like rattles because of the, of the thunder, and it, it's lightning too, so it lights up my whole room. Of course, I wake up, and I'm, I'm in this deep sleep, no joke, I woke up, and I'm freaking out. I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm literally freaking out, trying to crawl into my bed, thinking that I'm being bombed by like, I don't know, Russia or something, and uh Totally terrified. But listen to me. It says, when Moses spoke to God, God responded uh, to him in thunder. We so casually say that we want to hear God speak, but do we really? Job 38 verse 3 and Job 40 verse 7, God says to Job, brace yourself like a man. 
I will question you and you shall answer me. When God speaks, we must brace ourselves. When God speaks, we must ready ourselves for the impact of his words because his words come with power. Has anybody here ever played football? Mason, you played football. Some of you other people in here played football. Like some of you, you've had to learn to brace yourself for a hit. And there's like appropriate ways to brace yourself for a hit. Um, this is not like bracing yourself for a hit. You, you, you've got to get your feet like shoulder width apart. And, and you've got to have your knees a little bit bent, one foot slightly in front of the other. And, and you kind of got to be leaning forward. And then when the hit comes, you've got to lunge into it to kind of displace some of the impact coming at you. So imagine not bracing yourself for a hit from an NFL linebacker. I'm telling you, I don't care who you are, that would be terrifying enough. Don't imagine yourself bracing for an impact from an NFL linebacker. Brace your, imagine yourself bracing yourself for an impact from a stinking freight train. The power of God causes people to tremble. And let me ask you this. When is the last time that happened to you when you opened the word of God and read it? When is the last time that happened to you in a gathering maybe like this that you were a part of? How is it that there's so much laughter and so little trembling when we gather like this? The power of God causes people to tremble. Um, this pastor, he wrote this in a book. Uh, the church may have to advertise its preachers, its conferences, its statistics, but it does not have to advertise its spiritual bankruptcy. It's too self-evident. A critical, a critical sports writer says he deplores the fact that professional sports has become show business. One can deplore the fact that the, the mighty gospel of our redeeming Lord has become show business also. Fancily dressed singers imitating rock stars. Elaborate stage dressing to try to catch the attention of a dying world. This was written in the 80s. Imagine what he'd say now. All this dressing up to attempt to hide the fact that the altar has no fire, the preaching has no power, the Holy One is not in attendance. The reality is, in our churches, in our worship gatherings, in all these different worship and speaking tours that are going around the country, we've gotten in the habit of using lights and laughter to hide the fact that the thunder and the lightning isn't there. The church has become really good at manipulating and fabricating experiences to try and cover up the reality that God's power is absent. This is why there's a whole lot more laughing and entertaining and ear-tickling going on than there is trembling. A.W. Tozer, he said this, we're doing our best, he's talking about the church, we're doing our best to sew up the rent veil in the temple. We use artificial means to try to induce some kind of worship. I think the devil in hell must be laughing, and I think God must be grieving, for there is no fear of God before our eyes. The power of God causes people to tremble. The first reason these people were trembling in Exodus is because they saw his power. The second is they trembled because of his size. The size of God causes people to tremble. So a couple years ago, I took a group to, uh, to Zimbabwe. Is anybody on that team here? Mallory is. I think everybody else has graduated and gone. Mallory's still hanging around. She's taking laps, people. She's taking laps. Victory laps. I'm just kidding. Mallory's great. We're glad you're around still. Um, so we went to Zimbabwe, and after we were there for a while, we, we flew to um, Victoria Falls. 
Victoria Falls is um, one of the seven wonders of the world. And uh, I now understand why. So we're flying towards the falls, and we're probably, I don't know, 20, 30 miles away, and you can see this massive, powerful waterfall, even like 20 to 30 miles away. You can just see the mist of it just growing in the air. And then once you're on the ground in this city called Victoria Falls, uh, you get closer to the falls, and, and you still can't even like see it from the ground. You can see the mist. You can't actually see the falls. You're, you're like a mile, maybe half a mile away. The ground, you can actually begin to feel the ground rumbling. And, and it's, you can hear it. It's like the sound of a constant thunder. And then you get close to the falls, and it's like it's, it's perfectly clear outside, but because of the power of the water crashing and coming back up, you were getting literally drenched. It feels like you were in this monsoon rain. It was beautiful, yet terrifying. Um, and, and we went to visit this falls, and a lot of people go visit it. And I remember we go in there, and they, tell you, they, they sell you these rain jackets at the door. We're like, ah, we don't need a rain jacket. But now I know we need a rain jacket. Uh, and we, we, we go, and we're looking. And, and most, of the, most of the way, it's a huge waterfall. Most of the way, there's this protective fence. Um, but after a while, this protective fence, and I say protective fence, it's like just this kind of jank wood fence. Um, after a while, there's this like fallen over wooden sign that says no more fence. And, uh, <laughs> but the path continued. And so at that point, you've got two decisions. Actually, the path split. You could either go towards the waterfall or you could go away from the waterfall, keep the same distance. Well, naturally, I'm mean, the only logical conclusion here is to go towards the waterfall. And so me and one other person from our team, Mallory was not this person. She was scared. She went away from the waterfall. Um, true. Yeah, true. Thank you. Uh, so we go, me and this other person, we went close to the waterfall. And, and, I mean, literally, you can go to the rocks that go literally to the very edge of the waterfall. And the rocks are covered in water, so they're slick and moss and all this stuff. And so we're like, sweet, let's see how close we can get to the edge. But we didn't do this. Let me just tell you. We did not do this. See this edge and like, sweet, let's go to the edge of the waterfall. We didn't do that. How do you imagine we approached the edge of the waterfall? I don't know where that jump came from. <laughs> Dang it. I think I'm going to have to give up my man card after that. <laughs> Shoot. How do you think we approached the edge of the waterfall? It's been a long day, people. I mean, it was more like this right here, you know? It was more like that. Uh, not exactly like that, but <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> Somebody just snorted. Priest, was that you? Priest is snorting over here. Priest, wave your hand. Everybody needs to know who Priest, Priest is. That was awesome. Listen, I know I'm being I'm goofy with that, but can I suggest that we should approach our God the same way? Awe and wonder. Reverence, fear, and trembling. Acknowledge whose presence it is that you have just walked into, understanding that just his size could swallow us in a moment. Exodus 19, verse 17 says, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. It was wrapped in smoke. It was consumed. Like a mountain was consumed. 
The Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain. The whole mountain, not part of it, the entire mountain trembled greatly. The size of God causes people to tremble. Again, A.W. Tozer from a different book that he wrote, The Knowledge of the Holy, said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He goes on to say, Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason... The gravest question before the church is always God himself. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. In other words, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. And let me just tell you, the reality is our God is much bigger than we've made him out to be. I mean, just think about God's statement in Isaiah 55, 9. God says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I mean, just think about the massiveness of that statement. I mean, right now, the observable space of the universe, in other words, as far as scientists through their little gadgets and stuff can see, they have measured the universe being 13.8 billion light years. Put that in perspective, one light year is uh, 5.878-49881 miles times... 10 to the 12th power, one light year. So multiply that by 13.8 billion, and that's the current observable distance of the universe, which that number will grow as technology grows. Now, this is just how much, because Isaiah 55 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 13.8 billion light years. This is just how much bigger God's thoughts are than our thoughts. His ways are than our ways. This doesn't even account for his physical presence. This doesn't even account for the fact that, that God created that 13.8 billion light years huge universe. Our view of God is way too small. And our, our, our small view of God is reflected in so many ways. It's reflected in the way that we pray. I mean, most of us don't pray. I mean, if we really believed that God was as big as he is, then, then the room back there, the choir room, a.k.a. the boiler room, would be way more full on Tuesday nights than this room. Our view of God is small, and it's reflected in the way that we pray. It's, it's, it's reflected in the fact that we casually just prance in to God's presence no differently than we casually walk into the bathroom to go pee. Our small view of God is reflected in what we pray for. I mean, our prayers, they're, they're small and they're generic. Our prayers, we pray these weak prayers. It's reflected in how we worship. Leonard Ravenhill, he wrote, The church right now has more fashion than passion, is more pathetic than prophetic, is more superficial than supernatural. Our small view of God is reflected in the, in, in the things that we attempt. A small God can only do small things, and this is why we don't try big things. We, the church, we've settled on attempting small things for God because we've not yet realized how big our God is. Whatever happened to believing and trusting in Ephesians 3.20? Now to him, talking about God, who's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Our small view of God is reflected in how we follow God. If our view of God is small, which it is, then our response to his call on our lives is going to be small. 
If our view of God is small, which it is, our involvement in his mission will be on our terms at best. Like, is your life, is your life being planned around your involvement in his mission, or is your involvement in his mission being planned around your life? Our small view of God, it's reflected in how we worry. A small God can only handle small problems. We, we, we worry so much because we have big problems and a small view of God. Our small view of God, it's, it's most greatly reflected, I think, in how we view sin. God hates sin. And God pours out his wrath on those who sin. But his wrath isn't something to be feared if he's a small God. And so here's the result. We don't run from sin. We don't flee from sin. We don't take sin very seriously at all because our view of God is small. And because our view of God is small, our view of his wrath is small. And because our view of his wrath is small, our, our, our fear of his wrath doesn't even exist. The size of God causes people to tremble. So they trembled because of his power. They trembled because of his size. They trembled because of his holiness. Um, I got kicked out of Chuck E. Cheese one time. Uh, it was, I was 18. It was my senior year in high school. Me and my buddy Brett Uniguez, we had our little senior lunch break, and so we were like, let's go eat at Chuck E. Cheese. And uh, so we, we drove down to Chuck E. Cheese, and uh, we walk in, and there's like a Chuck E. You know, like Chuck E. Cheese has like a bouncer. It's like a club. Uh, there's like this dude standing there, and we're like, hey, we're here to eat. And he's like, uh, he kind of looks around behind us. Are there any kids standing behind us? He's like, how old are you guys? We're, we're like 18. And he goes, show me your ID. I'm like, I'm at Chuck E. Cheese. I have to show my stinking ID. <laughs> so I pull my ID out, and he's like, I can't let you in. And at this point, there's this like line of probably 10 little kids. Don't even come up to my hip that's formed behind me. And, uh, and he says, yeah, I can't let you in. And we're like, why can't, we, why, can't, what? why can't you let us into Chuck E. Cheese? And he's like, well, for obvious reasons. Uh, but he's like, you got to either be a kid or have a kid. And so I was like, come here, kid. No, I didn't, I didn't do that. But uh, it was so frustrating, one, because I was super hungry. Uh, and two, it was humiliating because he says, guys, could you please step aside? And uh, so we step aside, and he waves these little kids through into Club Chuck E. Cheese as we're not getting let into Chuck E. Cheese. And... We didn't meet the requirements to get into Chuck E. Cheese. That's the point of that. Exodus 19, listen to this. Verse 21 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. In other words, you're seeing this pattern of like the necessity for purity like complete and total purity in approaching God. Verse 24, and the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but don't let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord lest he break out against them. And every time it says something like that, it's talking about death. Verse 25, so Moses went down to the people uh, and told them. Look at verse 18 of chapter 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us, we will listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. They are beginning to see the holiness of God and realize the consequences of approaching that holiness when they aren't as holy. Moses said to the people, verse 20, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood <clears throat> far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The holiness of God causes people to tremble. The size 
of God causes people to tremble. The power of God causes people to tremble. The holiness of God causes people to tremble. And it causes people to tremble because when we see, when you see, when I see how holy he really is, we realize quickly that we don't meet the requirements to be in his presence and live. And remember, it doesn't really matter who you think God is. What matters is who God actually is. And we've come up with so many different versions and so many different ideas of God. We've come up with so many different ideas of how God views all these different things that are part of our lives, are going to be a part of our lives, like marriage, sexuality, sex before marriage, or what even constitutes sex at all, alcohol, language, how we spend our time, what we watch, what we listen to, how we talk about other people, how we dress, how we spend our money, the list could go on. And again, remember, it doesn't really matter who you think God is. What matters is who God actually is. And the holiness of God causes people to tremble because when we see his holiness, we quickly realize that much of what we refuse to call sin is actually sin. Did you get that? The holiness of God causes people to tremble because when we see, get even a glimpse of his holiness, we quickly realize that much of what we refuse to call sin is actually sin. The holiness of God causes people to tremble because God is unbelievably, unapproachably holy. The holiness of God causes people to tremble because God created us to be holy and we have all epically failed. And anyone who has not met that requirement by even the smallest amount sits under the wrath of God. They must die. The holiness of God causes people to tremble because when we see his holiness, we quickly realize how desperately we need him to graciously and mercifully save us. The size, the power, the holiness of God causes people to tremble. So why does any of this stinking matter? Why does this matter for you right now, where you sit and what you're going through? When's the last time you trembled at the power of God? When is the last time that you trembled at the size of God? When is the last time that you trembled at the holiness of God? One of my responsibilities as one of your pastors is to protect you from accidentally devoting your entire life to worshiping a make-believe, lowercase g God that doesn't even exist. And I'm afraid that many of us are worshiping something that we've created instead of worshiping the one, worshiping the one who created us. And my reason for believing that is simply this, there's little to no godly fear and trembling among us. Tozer, in his book, Whatever Happened to Worship, he wrote, the presence of God in our midst, bringing a sense of godly fear and reverence, this is largely missing today. When God comes down, the people tremble. Listen, if you've never trembled as the result of an encounter with God, then I beg you, to consider the possibility that you have never encountered God. And you have to understand how necessary this is for someone to realize their need for Jesus. If, if you're not afraid of God, if you're not afraid of God, if you don't fear his wrath, then why do you need Jesus? Like, do you see that? If you're not afraid of God, if you're not afraid of his wrath, then what's the point of Jesus? Why do you need him? The whole reason that God sent Jesus is to save us 
from his wrath. When God comes down, the people tremble. They tremble at his size, his power, and his holiness. When is the last time you trembled as the result of an encounter with God? Let me pray for us. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.